Johnston, Virgil, and others meant that the voices of these writers were as fresh and accessible to him as anything he might read in a newspaper or magazine. In 1850, the United States was in the midst of pushing its way west across the full 3,000-mile breadth of the North American continent. Railroads had begun to knit together the interior of the nation into an iron tracery of ceaseless smoke-belching movement. Steamboats ventured up once inaccessible rivers. With the winning of the Mexican War in 1848, America's future as a bi-coastal nation was sealed. When word reached the East Coast that gold had been discovered earlier that year in California, thousands upon thousands of prospectors quickly made that future an accomplished fact. But there was a problem with this juggernaut, a lie festered at the ideological core of the then 30 states of America. Even though its founders had promised liberty and freedom for all, the southern half of the country was economically dependent on African slavery. Ever since the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the issue had been gnawing at the heart of America, and now, after decades of avoidance and evasion, it was becoming clear that the nation was headed for a crisis. With the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850, which required that escaped slaves found anywhere in the United States be handed over to the authorities, slavery was no longer just a Southern problem. All Americans, both above and below the Mason-Dixon line, were now legally bound to the institution of slavery. Antagonisms that had lain dormant for decades could no longer be contained, and an eruption of terrible violence appeared inevitable. Despite all its brilliant successes, America was on the verge of a cataclysm. To be an American writer in 1850 was to be part of a young, still tentative literary tradition. Washington Irving and James Fenimore Cooper were approaching the ends of their careers, while the poet William Cullen Bryant was one of the most influential literary figures of the time, thanks in large part to his position as editor of a leading New York City newspaper. Before his death in 1849, Edgar Allan Poe had pronounced the now-forgotten Southern novelist William Gilmore Sims immeasurably the best writer of fiction in America. In the meantime, the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was well on his way to becoming the most popular and best-paid author in America. But it was British writers such as Charles Dickens and Edward Bulwer-Lytton, known primarily today for beginning one of his novels with the immortal phrase, It was a dark and stormy night, who were the most widely read in the United States. Cooper and Irving had managed to support themselves, sometimes just barely, through their writing, but they were very much the exceptions to the rule. The popular essayist and poet Ralph Waldo Emerson relied on his lecture fees to keep body and soul together, and even Nathaniel Hawthorne, whose scarlet letter had been selling briskly since his appearance in March of that year, had been employed until just recently as a surveyor at the Customs House in Salem, Massachusetts. By purchasing a home in the wilds of western Massachusetts with the intention of supporting himself and his family on the income derived from a novel about, of all things, whaling, Melville was embarking on a quest as audacious and doomed as anything dreamed up by the captain of the Pequod. To write timelessly about the here and now, a writer must approach the present indirectly. The story has to be about more than it at first seems. Shakespeare used the historical sources of his plays as a scaffolding on which to construct detailed portraits of his own age. The interstices between the second-hand historical plots and Shakespeare's startlingly original insights into Elizabethan England are what allow his work to speak to us today. Reading Shakespeare, we know what it is like, in any age, to be alive. 
So it is with Moby Dick, a novel about a whaling voyage to the Pacific that is also about America racing hell-bent toward the Civil War and so much more. Contained in the pages of Moby Dick is nothing less than the genetic code of America, all the promises, problems, conflicts, and ideals that contributed to the outbreak of a revolution in 1775 as well as a civil war in 1861 and continue to drive this country's ever-contentious march into the future. This means that whenever a new crisis grips this country, Moby Dick becomes newly important. It is why subsequent generations have seen Ahab as Hitler during World War II, or as a profit-crazed deep-drilling oil company in 2010, or as a power-crazed Middle Eastern dictator in 2011. The irony is that when Moby Dick was first published in the fall of 1851, virtually no one, except for the author to whom the novel was dedicated, Nathaniel Hawthorne and his wife Sophia, seems to have taken much notice. By the time of Melville's death in 1891,